Praise the Lord. We're going to predominantly uh, be in, uh, turn the whole time in John chapter 10 today. Um, but before we get into uh, the main passage in chapter 10, I want to do what I have attempted to do uh, in recent weeks. I want to provide a bit of pretext or context uh, that will help us uh, properly interpret and get what I believe God wants us to get out of the passage. Because uh, oftentimes we'll read passages in isolation. And it may be 10 verses and we just read them within the prism of those 10 verses without seeing the historical context that we ought to, that those verses ought to be read in. And there's a conversation that's going on in chapter 10 that at the very least started back in chapter 8, right? And, and, and between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, Jesus and the Pharisees. There's conflict between these two. There's arguments. There is a constant uh, confrontation. Uh, confrontation that started over the woman caught in adultery. They brought this woman before him. They wanted to present this situation, hoping to trip him up. And we all remember that he said, well, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And that really upset their apple cart. He did not say anything that gave them a reason to charge him with something as a violation of their law. But that's not where it ended. During that argument, <laughs> uh, I tell you what, Jesus spoke the truth in love, but sometimes he spoke the truth that cut. He told them also in, in 8, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he had just said that he, his, his objective was that they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. And they were like, hey, we're not bound. We're children of Abraham. We've never been slaves. He said, yeah, you are. You're a slave of sin. And you may have that robe on and you may have that position, but you before God are in no better condition than the sinners you look down on. Without me, you're a sinner before God. And those people didn't want to hear that. So there's angst between them and Jesus. And he's just telling them the truth. If they embrace that truth and humble themselves to that truth, the one who told them that truth can set them free. But they're not trying to hear the truth. That conflict continued on. And they brought up that Abraham was their father. And Jesus said something that really upset them. He said, whoa, hold on. Before Abraham was, I am. And in, so saying, and in so saying that, he was saying that he's greater than their revered father of Abraham. Now, these people are in the grind. They are in the fight. They are in the ring. This is going on. 
And that fight continues on into chapter 9 when Jesus heals a man who was born blind on the Sabbath. And what, what, after what happened on chapter 8 and what happened with the blind man, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I've come so that those who are dwelling in darkness may have life. These people knew what he was saying, and, it, and, and at least those religious leaders, and they were upset about what he was saying because he was putting himself equal with God. He was saying what he knew, what he knew would rile them up, but it was nonetheless the truth. Sometimes truth is hard for us to accept. But this fight is going on, he healed a man on the Sabbath, and that was a violation of their religious law. They thought that it was God's law, but it was man-made law. God puts no restrictions on when somebody can be healed. He opened the blind man's eyes. And after both of these incidents, they tried to kill the dude. So we already have violent intent toward Jesus. From these uh, religious leaders. And at the end of chapter 9, the Pharisees overheard, I am going to read this, it's not a part of the verses, I'm sorry, but the Pharisees overheard a conversation between Jesus and the blind man that he had healed. He had this conversation after he learned that they had excommunicated this guy. They kicked him out of the synagogue because they could not convince him to denounce the fact that Jesus is the one that healed him. They refused to accept that he was from God. They wanted him to be branded a sinner. Hey, give credit to God, but don't give credit to him. And that blind man was like, I know what happened to me, and I know who did it. And I'm not going to deny that Jesus is the one that healed me. And that, that conversation went back and forth, and they said, that's, all, that's enough. You're out. You're kicked out. You're banned from the synagogue. And Jesus, hearing, hearing this, he said, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. And in, in that statement, we see, in, uh, to a certain degree, the purpose of the healing of the blind man. It was done. To make a statement. This man who could not see has come to see and believe in the one whom God has sent. The son of God. And the ones who should have been able to see were unable to see because of the hardness of their heart. Uh, and we're, we're going to get into it. But Jesus even said, uh, God is his father. He's not theirs because if he was their father, they would believe in him. And rejoice. But the Pharisees overheard this conversation in verse 40 of chapter 9. 
some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? You got to be kidding me. Are you calling us blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You look the part, you act the part. But as righteous as you look, you're a filthy sinner. Your guilt remains because your righteousness comes from yourself. It's self-righteousness. It's not a righteousness that comes from God. And so your guilt remains. Now, chapter 10 is a continuation of this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees at the end of chapter 9. And I want to point that out. He just told them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They are who Jesus is talking to as chapter 10 begins, and that's where we'll start today. Truly, truly, in verse 1, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Back in the Bible times, uh, leaders were often, at least allegorically, referred to as shepherds. Whether those leaders were political or spiritual, the term shepherd was something that would immediately resonate with people. So Jesus begins to compare them to his shepherdship. And he's saying here that there is a sheepfold. And there's a right way to enter that sheepfold. And there's a wrong way to enter that sheepfold. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. But climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's talking, and some of you are maybe just uh, preaching to the choir. You may know this already, but I would just say, just lend me your ears. Man, I sound like a Shakespeare play or something. Or friends, Romans, lend me your ears. And just hear what God is saying to you this morning. The religious leaders that he had been in conflict with were considered the shepherds of the people. And Jesus, as if they're not already upset enough at him, he's telling the cold, hard truth, and it's up to them whether they're going to receive it or not. This first couple of verses he's starting off with is about them. They got their positions through connections, through education, through ambition. They have titles, but they're not called of God in those positions. So they can interpret the scriptures and they look at people. They don't look at the people as 
as the good shepherd looks at the people, they don't look at the people as though they're theirs. As, as, and, and, and they don't look at them with love and compassion. They don't look at them as someone they're willing to lay their lives down for. They're in it for the paycheck. They're in it for the attention. They're in it because it's their career. They're not in it for the right motive. They've not come in through the door. And the sheep of God is going to have to learn to hear the good shepherd, to distinguish the voice of the good shepherd in the midst of a society, in the midst, in the midst of a time and age in which we live, that there are a lot of thieves and robbers speaking to us. And we're going to have to learn whose voice is the good shepherd and whose voice is not. The You know, the, the Bible says that the sheep scatter when someone approaches them with a voice that isn't the one that is their shepherd. And we're going to have to flee and scatter from those ones that ain't the voice of Jesus. Are you hearing me today? Those Pharisees did not Enter the sheepfold. They're in the sheepfold. That big sheepfold is a corral. It wasn't just for one shepherd. In the sheepfold, multitude of shepherds would have their sheep. And there was one way in and one way out. And there was a door that a shepherd that had any claim on any of the sheep that was in there, if you were one of the shepherds whose flock was in the sheepfold, you could enter the door, and each shepherd had a distinct call that his sheep, when they heard that distinct call, they would get up and they would go. No one had to force them. You didn't have to drive them. They say, this is your shepherd. This is your master. No, no, no. They knew the way he called. They got up, and he didn't follow them and push them out. All he did was go out. And they followed him because they recognized his voice. Now, many of y'all have probably remember hearing me uh, preach about certain parables, and uh, one of the parables you may realize, you may remember, that I believe is horribly misnamed is the parable of the prodigal son. Because that parable is not about the prodigal son. The parable is about the father of the prodigal son and his brother. And so we got to remain true to the passages. We got to remain true to the text. It, it, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is like the father. And that's where God wants our attention. This parable here, oftentimes we spend a lot of time on the sheep. But this parable ain't about the sheep. This parable is about the door and the good shepherd. And so it deserves our attention because we, we want to understand what God is revealing about himself to us. It's not that we want to ignore the sheep because we're represented. The sheep represent us and we want to know what our, uh, what, what's, what's required of us. But let's not forget to do the primary thing is let's find out about our shepherd because the more we know our shepherd 
the more we'll be able to recognize a fraud. The more we learn to hear him, the more we learn to run away from those who might try to imitate him. And it might sound close, but we know it's not him. And we will not follow any voice but that of our shepherd. He says he's the door. Now, and he and he calls the people who don't who didn't get their position by a calling from the Lord. You know, you may not have a theological seminary degree. The fact that you do, if you do, that doesn't disqualify you. I just want you to know that it also doesn't qualify you. There is one that qualifies. It is the one who created us. It is the one who sent his only begotten son for for us, right? It's It's the one and the only one who can save us, right? He's the one who has our calling, and our purpose. He's the only one who can qualify you and who can call you. And so it's not about what you bring to the table. It's not about how eloquent you are, how educated you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are. What matters is, has God called you? And are you answering that call? God qualifies those whom he calls. He qualified a little boy who was working in his daddy's Field as a shepherd to be king of Israel. He had brothers that looked more qualified to hold such a position, but they're not the ones God called. And even though all he knew was just shepherding sheep, God had him marked. And God qualified him, uniquely qualified him, to be arguably the greatest king that Israel had. Are you hearing me? He defeated a man in the natural in Goliath that he should not have been able to defeat because God called him. He survived multiple attempts on his life from his predecessor and he did not take matters into his own hands because he knew that God called him and that God would take care of what needed to be taken care of. Amen? And I want you to be encouraged. You may, don't, don't get, don't, don't get, become a victim of what uh, Steve Irby uh, said in that uh, wonderful uh, Bible study I'll never forget. Do not become a victim of comparisonitis where you're comparing yourself against others and you're, and, and, and you're wishing you had what somebody else had and because you don't, in your mind, you disqualify yourself and feel like God cannot use you when in fact God has called you and you are a vessel of honor that's fit to be used by him. Let the truth of God's word be the thing that you put your belief and trust in. He didn't just call them Pharisees. He called them thieves and robbers.
I don't want to, I've already parked there longer than I intended to. Let's go on to verse 3 and 4. To him, who is him? The the shepherd. I'm sorry, they must have moved on from verse 2. But verse 2 called, uh, Jesus said, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So in this spiritual image that Jesus has painted, the door for the sheep pen has a doorkeeper, one who watched who came in and went out. And the doorkeeper knows the true shepherd and grants him access. And that shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, providing direction and leadership. As I said earlier, not driving them out, he speaks. I'm your shepherd. You are my sheep. Follow my voice. I'm not harsh. I'm not a a harsh, evil taskmaster. I'm not I'm not coming behind you and hitting you with my staff or hitting you with my whip. I'm lovingly leading you into green pastures. So this shepherd has entered into ministry the right way. Verse 7, so Jesus again, now they didn't understand, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Verse 9 pretty much gives you the gist of what he's talking about. This is about salvation. This is not about about how religious you are. It's not about how, how good or bad your life is. It's about whether you know Jesus. It's about whether you have a relationship with your heavenly father. It's about where you're going to spend eternity. And Jesus is letting it be known. The stuff they're talking about, those religious leaders who claim themselves to be your shepherd, those are thieves and robbers. They're stealing what belongs to you. They're here just to either shear your wool and make profit off of it. They're here to kill you, to sacrifice you, to fulfill their own desires and needs. They're not here to lay their lives down. They will step over you to accomplish their own ends. You will not find salvation in what they're peddling to you. Salvation comes from the good shepherd. 
am the door. The only way to salvation is through Jesus. Some circles consider that hate speech, but that's just truth according to God's word. There's only one way to salvation, that's through Jesus. There's only one way to be added into the flock of God, and that is through Jesus. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to bring life to us. Real life, not just to make life here better, but to give us eternal life. This life, no matter how good you've had it or bad you've had it, like a vapor, this life will be over before you know it. I was foolish enough to think, you know, just 30 years ago, I thought athletic. I was one, athletically, I was one of the baddest men on the planet. Time has relieved me of that foolishness. I no longer hold to that illusion. I can no longer do what I used to do. And as time has gone on, the longer I live, the older I get, the more precious life becomes. Because I've gotten to that point in life that I am numbering my days, right? I know that there is not, I, I'm not going to live forever. I, I, uh, that didn't resonate with me at 20, at 22, 23, but it resonates with me at 52. And I'm now starting to consider the life of my children, the next generation and the generation beyond and, 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 and what God wants to do in their lives and, 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 what, and, and how they're going to further the cause of Christ in the time that, that they will live and they'll raise their own families and they'll find their own calling in God. And, 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 and this thing just keeps going on. And I'm starting to think about the, the plan of God beyond my lifetime. Life is here today and gone tomorrow. The scripture says that our lives are but a vapor. In the, in, in, in the eternal span of life, we live about 70 years, give or take, and we're gone. And what will matter is what we did in those 70 years, or 80, or 90, or more. Did we see the light? Did we hear the gospel and, and did we surrender ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Did, did, did we get the life that Jesus died to give us? And having done that, did we do what God called us to do so that others might hear that same glorious gospel and come to eternal life in Jesus Christ? That's what it's all about. 
In a nutshell, that's what it's all about. Everything else is gravy. Everything else is secondary. What matters in the, as the heart of God is concerned, that he wants no one to perish, but that all to come into repentance. And you know what? His heart has to become our priority. What are we doing to let God transform us? What, how, uh, when, when God's word goes forth, what is our attitude? What is our mindset? Do we want God to wreck us with the truth of his word? I want to know that when you're speaking, God, when that word hits me, it, it, I, I want to know what the truth of your word is because I want to know how to please you. And any way that I'm not pleasing you, I want to be convicted. I want to know it because I want to repent that I might conform myself to your truth. And for those who don't know you, if whatever role I am to play, Lord, I'm available. Use me because I want people to know, to know you. I want their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And I know that that will always be God's will and will always be pleasing to his heart. To his heart. Are you hearing that today? Jesus says, in verse 11, he's already said that he's the door. He's the way. Anyone that, that tries, that, that, that wants eternal life, you claim to have it apart from him, you don't have it. Anybody who has, your call, has a calling to minister outside of him, God didn't call you. You didn't enter through the door. You're climbing over the walls and you're entering in illegally, which means your intent is not God-honoring. Your, your intent is self-serving and destructive to the sheep. Let's not fall prey to them. But Jesus says, in contrast to the thieves and robbers, I, in verse 11, am the good shepherd. He says that of himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, it's what a good shepherd does, lays down his life for the sheep. Now, let's, th let's consider the fact that he is speaking a spiritual truth. You know, in the times that this is talking about, the good shepherd would put their life on the line. They had to fight savage beasts off all the time. David even said of himself, before he fought Goliath, he convinced Saul to, to let him have at Goliath because he said, you know what? No, 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 no. I won't be fighting him alone. Uh, I'll be fighting him in the strength of the Lord my God because I was a sheep herder. I watched over the flock. And there was a time a lion came who set his gaze and he set his fangs upon the sheep. And I stood between the sheep and the lion and I defeated that lion. God helped me do that. And a bear came, and he set his sights on the sheep. And I stood in the strength of God, and I fought and defeated that bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them before this day is out. He knew. And that was the heart of a good shepherd, that they didn't run when the enemy came and threatened the sheep. They put their lives on the line, and they fought against those beasts that were mighty and strong and deadly. And sometimes they didn't live to see another day. Oftentimes they fought the beast off. 
but win or lose, the beast was going to have to go through the shepherd to get to the sheep. And in, in the natural life, if the shepherd was failed by the beast, that didn't mean good things for the sheep. That means the sheep were going to be destroyed too. But this is different. He laid down his life so that he could take it up again. He laid down his life to pay the sin debt for us, his sheep. But then he took it up again, and we're going to be celebrating that next week, but he took it up again, conquering sin and death. And because he lives, we live also in him. Amen? So he gave his life. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down for the sheep. Because he knew that it was necessary for our salvation. He laid it down. The, the, the enemy of our souls wasn't just a natural savage beast. The enemy of our soul was Satan. And his goal for us is to drag as many of us into the lake of fire, into the same eternal judgment that he has. But Jesus, our good shepherd, paid the price, satisfied the requirements of the law. He became sin for us. He became our atoning sacrifice. And by grace through faith, we are the righteousness of God in him. Amen? So him laying down his life, in other words, was not the final chapter. It didn't mean that he, was, he became powerless to save us from the savage beast who spiritually wants to steal, kill, and destroy our souls. He laid down his life that he might take it up again. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. In this, it speaks a difference in relationship. If the sheep is yours, then you are, you are invested. You can't just stand by and let them be scattered and devoured. The good shepherd says, these sheep are not just a paycheck for me. I own them. They belong to me. They have a place in my heart. And I'm, this, is, this is the heart of the good shepherd. This is Jesus. We're not just talking about regular shepherds here. We're talking about the good shepherd. I'm simply an under-shepherd to the good shepherd. So this, so, 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 so this is, is revealing the heart of the good shepherd toward us. He knows that as sheep, 
One thing about sheep, and I, I, if you notice, I haven't said much about the sheep because I don't want us to get into this attitude where we're focusing on the sheep and how, how dumb they are. How gullible, how, how, how quick they are to put themselves in, in harm's way and, and the shepherd is having to chase after them all over the place to save them from their own idiotic ways. And I know that, hey, we are sheep in that way. But I want instead, we all know we're flawed individuals and, and to me it humbles me the love of our God, to know that despite our flaws, despite our shortcomings, despite our wanderings, his love for us doesn't wane. And that he will leave the 99 to go and regather the stray sheep, right? To go regather, so to go and, and, and find and bring back the one who strayed away. He doesn't calculate it and say, well, I still got 99, what's one? No, 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 he loves his sheep so much, he will leave the 99 in the safety of the sheepfold. He hasn't abandoned the 99. The, the 99 are safe. But his heart is such that he loves each and every one of his sheep with such a passion. If there is one, he, he's not going to sit there and stew and say, I've told him not to go. If he gets eaten up by, the, by, by a savage beast, uh, well, he'll deserve it. No, his heart is, I got to go save him from himself. Ah, uh, the, the shepherd might not get there in time, but he's going to do everything in his power to do it. Our God, though we wander, continues to pursue us. I'm not justifying your wanderings. This, this is not about that. This is about the heart of our shepherd. And you might be sitting there judging yourself this morning. Maybe you're in the midst of a, a wandering episode. And this is really convicting you. I do not apologize for that. Because this is a part of him pursuing you going into the wilderness where you're at. It doesn't matter how pretty you're dressed, how handsome you look. You can be sitting there in the pews and still be in the wilderness in your life. And you're, and you're caught in a thicket. And you're trapped and you can't get out. And, and, and you're crying out for help because you know you're stuck and you can't get out. And, and along comes your shepherd, Jesus. He'll meet you. He'll he'll. He'll, he'll use the crook of his staff and he'll, he'll, he'll get you and he'll pull you out of that thicket and he'll put you over his shoulders and take you back to safety. That's the love and care that we get from our good shepherd. Are you hearing me? And the thing that matters most to him is your well-being because he's a good shepherd that saves to the utmost. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, verse 14. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Um, that speaks of, now he's speaking to a complete Jewish audience. Who at this point, they still believe we're the only ones, we're the chosen ones of God. But he is alluding to the Gentiles that will also be added to the flock. God is not ethnocentric. He's not nation-centric. He's going to call those out of every nation in the world that belong to him. Are you hearing me? And so, uh, so, so he's going to gather us all, Jew and Gentile, into one flock in the name of Jesus. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. This is not something that I am reluctantly, you know, that I'm resisting. I am volunteering my life because it's for the spiritual well-being of the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So God commanded him, lay down your life. Take it up again. That was his charge for the sheep. And he regardless of whatever resistance came, he was determined to do exactly that. Uh, let's skip down to verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. He didn't miss words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. You might want to star that, highlight that. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And he says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. We need to know that this is a promise of the Lord. When, when, when we question our salvation, you know, have I, no one, you know, we, I used to, me and Christy had these conversations in, in our uh, younger days and walking with the Lord. And, and we would grapple with this question, you know, like, okay, no one can take us out of his hands, but, but we can jump out of his hands. We're looking for what is a way that we can, we can lose it, you know? I mean, we, we got to be careful about this. You know, we had to settle. We had to eventually settle on the security of the salvation of the Lord. 
You know, it, 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 it's, it's impossible for us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good for us to get to a place where we can deny what has been revealed to us, the truth that there is a God in heaven who created the heavens and earth and all that in them is that created mankind and sent his only son to die for us that he might be forever in relationship with us in eternity. Amen? Eternal life. You can't have that. You cannot have that revelation and lose it. Once you've been enlightened to the truth, you cannot reject that truth. You can be a fool. And you can suffer the consequences of your foolishness. And you can, you can probably deny it with your lips. I just believe in your heart. The truth that has been revealed in your heart cannot be undone. And that may be debatable. That may be an issue. People's minds, stuff is turning around in your mind. And you know what? That's not a debate I'm scared of. But I just believe we have to be settled in the security of our salvation in the Lord. Those names get written in the Lamb's book of life. Are we really considering that God has an eraser? I just, uh, I, I just don't go there. Uh, I don't believe when our name gets written in the Lamb Book of Life, there is no eraser. You're in. And so, and and praise be to God for that. And and there still may be a whole lot of work, and there will be times of doubt. There may be times of fear. There may be times of unbelief. There may be times where we've given uh, way to the flesh, and we're not walking in the Spirit. But, but we're not saved because of what we've done. We're not saved because of the merit of our behavior. We're saved by grace through faith because of what Jesus has done. Amen? And, and, and that doesn't change with my behavior from day to day. Our salvation is more solid than that. Amen? And, and we ought to be, that, that, that's praiseworthy. We ought to be thanking him every day for that. We ought to be praising him for that. Thank you for doing what we could not do, right? For perfect, living out the perfect life and fulfilling the requirements of the law on our behalf and then nailing it to the cross and freeing us from the bondage of sin and death. We're not slaves anymore because of what Jesus has done. Amen? But they said, stop beating around the bush, man. Come out with it plainly. Tell us. Are you the Christ? And Jesus said, I've been telling you, man. They erroneously blame Jesus for their non-belief. Basically, they're saying, you know, we would believe if you would stop beating around the bush and just say who you are. It's, it, it, it's, it's funny how we want to look outside of ourselves and blame the external for our choices when the problem is us all along. They erroneously blamed Jesus for their non-belief. They basically accused him of being vague and not plainly declaring himself. But the problem wasn't a lack of candor on Jesus' part. They've already tried to kill Jesus twice because they fully understood the meaning of what he was saying. They picked up rocks and stoned him to death. They didn't do that because they were confused. 
They knew that he was proclaiming himself to be sent from God, to have come from heaven. They knew he was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. They had a problem. That's why there was conflict. And now they have the audacity to put it on him and say, come on, man, stop being vague. Be plain about it. Are you him? And he said, that's what I've been telling you all along. The real problem for the Pharisees was their hard hearts. Their hearts were hard toward Jesus because, in Jesus' word, God was not their father. That's Jesus' words, not mine. God wasn't their father. Religion was their profession, not their calling. You could read the Torah. They could, they, they could read the word of God and they could interpret it in their carnal understanding, but there was no relationship with the heavenly father. There was no revelation by and through the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus told them, you are of your father, the devil. If you really were of my father, right, you'd be excited right now instead of wanting to kill me. You would rejoice in this revelation instead of fighting against it. And so motives matter. Calling matters. It doesn't matter how many letters you have behind your degree or, or, or what your title is. What matters is, are you called? Are you in relationship with God? Do you hear his voice? Do you follow him? Do you follow his lead? Unfortunately, the people of God had no leaders that heard from God and, and, uh, until Jesus came upon the scene. But let that be a lesson to us as well, that where our hearts are hard, if we get to a point to where we're hearing voices other than the voice of Jesus, we're letting our hearts be affected and our hearts be moved and our hearts be led by voices that are extraneous to the word of God. If we don't repent from that, our hearts will become hard to what God is saying. And we'll interpret what God is saying as something to be resisted instead of something to be humbled before and walk in obedience to. Are you hearing me? We, I don't want to just beat up on the Pharisees, but, but, but they do serve as a cautionary tale for us. Because there are an abundance of voices, both privately, societally, uh, 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 politically, uh, and even, unfortunately, within religious circles. There are an abundance of, but these guys were religious leaders. And they didn't bit more know God than, than Pontius Pilate did. They didn't bit more know God any more than Pharaoh did. 
because God was not their father. They didn't come by the door. They didn't have intimate relationship with the father. And because of that, they did not have good shepherd hearts toward the sheep of God. And we're going to have to recognize who the good shepherds are, (laughs) who the good shepherd is, and who his good under shepherds are, and who aren't. Uh, We can blame the devil for many things, but we can't blame him for our choices. Uh, We can blame the voices that we hear on our TVs, on our radios, on podcasts, uh, on social media. We, 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 We can blame them for many things, but we can't blame them for what we do. If we choose to walk in something other than obedience to what we know to be true and right in the word of God, then that is on us, and we'll have to answer for that. Part of becoming free from whatever binds you is uh, acknowledging the truth that in many ways you hold the key. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whose report will you believe? Ask for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. Are you hearing me? Choices. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? This is, this is what it's telling us to do. Stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day against the wiles and schemes of the devil. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen? These are things that God has called us to do. And, it, and, and we can put up a lot of excuses, but that's avoiding our personal accountability before God. And as his sheep, we have a good shepherd. He laid down his life for us and paid our sin debt, took it up again for our justification. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. You know what? Go through life. Use me as an example. I'm modeled for you what living in this life that I died and rose again to give you ought to look like. Embrace it. Grab a hold of it. Apply it. Uh, Be not a hearer only, but a faithful doer, James says. Right? All of these, it doesn't say, now if the world allows... Do it. If everything, the stars align and everything works out good and perfectly for you, do these things. No, it says do it. I don't care the circumstances. Do it. No matter how hard it is. Do it. If you couldn't do it, I wouldn't have commanded you to. Do it. I have given you everything 
that pertains to life. I have given you every provision that enables you to walk in this life that I've given you. Now, what remains is simply but for you to do it. It's going to be hard. Harder. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. But be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. And you have already overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even your faith. I'm, I'm just praying that that's, a, uh, that that's speaking to somebody. I want to uh, skip up to verse 37. And uh, don't worry, I'll be landing the plane here before long. They had just finished trying to put their unbelief on Jesus. Verses 37 to 42 wind down like this. He says, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, if the works that I'm doing are the works of the father, if you search the scriptures and and you you ought to be able to confirm whether what I am doing are the works of the Father, the works of the God that you know to be real and true. And if what I'm doing is in line with and consistent with the Father, if I do those, even though you don't believe me, then believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Oh, again, they sought to arrest him. But he escaped from their bonds. He went away, and here's what I love. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him. Despite all the obstacles and the hurdles that the Pharisees tried to put up, despite all their efforts to try and squash the truth that Jesus was preaching. It says that many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Despite all those efforts. And you know, as a man of faith myself, sometimes I get troubled by all the signs of... uh, Within our uh, society and within our country, people trying to squash the uh, 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 the voice of God. They're trying to trying to make it difficult for the presence of God to be accounted for in public discourse and in various arenas and so forth. But but the same things were happening in Bible days. The same things were happening in the Book of Acts. And the church grew exponentially. The same thing was happening to Jesus. And people would still find him and believe. The same things are happening in communist China. And the church has been exploding for decades there. Right? So we don't have to be afraid of all these efforts that go on to try and squash it. Because it cannot be squashed. It cannot be extinguished. The the, the gospel will go on. Uh, the, the, The presence of God cannot be extinguished. His light overcomes all darkness. His truth will last forever. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will never end. 
Are you hearing me? I, th- I just want us to be in faith, that, 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 that the kind of faith that, that gives our God the credit that he deserves, that recognizes that even in the midst of unfortunate or difficult or challenging circumstances, our, our, our God's arm is not shortened. He's able to deliver. He's able to set free. He's, he, you know, he's able to, to win the battle for us, even though we don't understand how the victory will come about. He's not, he is not restricted. He doesn't need favorable circumstances. He's the God that can part the Red Sea so his people can walk on dry land and be forever delivered from the bondage of Egyptian bondage under Pharaoh. Our God is a consuming fire. Our Lord. is both the door to our salvation and the good shepherd who will lead us into green pastures beside the still waters who laid down his life for us. I want to end today in a very familiar song. I'm just going to read the six verses and we're going to call it a day. Uh, and wrap up and we'll call it a day. And this needs to be, you know, if you don't have it memorized, memorize it. It's only six verses. But meditate on it. Let God speak to you through this. Right? There are things that it reveals about the shepherd that ought to encourage you in your faith. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I shall not be in want. I shall not be in lack. He's too good of a shepherd to not provide for my needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture painted about the good shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my life isn't always a shadow. You know, that that doesn't always reflect my life. But if and when it does, I will rest in the peace and comfort of knowing that I'm not in the valley of the shadow of death alone, my shepherd would not, would not abandon me there. He will not leave me there. He will go into the valley of the shadow of death and he'll be with me. And my comfort is in his presence with me 
there. I don't have to be out of the valley of the shadow of death for me to find comfort. I find comfort in it because I know my shepherd is there with me. You know, and that's when we can be free of, of, of needing good or favorable circumstances and, and, and it will be enough for us that the presence of God is with us. That's when we'll find freedom. In a lot of circumstances that are, are, are keeping us bound up. We don't need the circumstances to change necessarily. We just need to recognize the presence of God with us in it. And you'd be amazed at what God can do in you and through you, even in the valley of the shadow of death. You know, uh, there, there, there may come a time when we'll be able to relate with Paul and Silas. Railroaded into prison. And all they did was do what their God called them to do. They set a woman free from demon possession. They got lied on. People gave a false report. They ended up beaten and arrested. Who knows how long they were going to stay there. They were in the valley of the shadow of death. And what did they do around midnight? They began to worship. They began to praise God. I'm sure they wanted the wounds on their backs healed. I'm sure they wanted out from behind bars and they wanted the shackles off of their wrists and and off their ankles and and they wanted to be free to do what God put in their hearts to do but they found themselves nonetheless in a cell. But they didn't forget that their shepherd was in the cell with them. And they began to say, you know what? I may be shackled right now. I may be behind bars. I may be restricted. I may feel like I was unfairly treated and so forth and so on. But regardless of my circumstances, God is worthy to be praised. And I will not act as if he is not with me and that he is not favoring me, that his favor is not on me. I will not act as though he doesn't have the power to do the impossible. I will praise my God regardless of the circumstances. And in the midst of praising him, the jail shook. The cell doors opened and the shackles fell off their wrists and ankles. And some of you are hearing this probably for the third time this week. Um, <laughs> you know, I know like Johnny and Ellen and some of the others, they're probably hearing this from about the third time this week, but, but praise God, uh, repetition is a good thing, but I would have been tempted to, to see that as praise God, God has answered my prayer. I want it out. I want it free and he's provided a way. So I am bouncing. I'm getting up out of this jail. I'm getting up out of this prison. I am bouncing because, praise God, he has given me the desire of my heart. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. Somehow, some way, they were so locked in on God that they knew that there was possibly some purpose in them being where they were at. And even though the shackles fell off their ankles and wrists, and even though the cell door opened, they rested in those cells and waited for God to speak. 
waited for the opportunity that God might reveal of a possible assignment for them. They didn't lament long on their sore and bleeding back. They didn't lament long on, 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 on how wrong they were treated and, 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 and so forth and how they can get back to what they were doing before this whole thing sidetracked them. They sat there and they rested. God had to be doing something because he opened those cell doors and everybody else, even those who earned their way there, stayed in their cell. And the jailer was going to kill himself. And Paul cried out to him and said, don't harm yourself. All of us are still here. So a day that started off one of the, what probably may have been one of the worst days in their lives ended up with the jailer who was going to commit suicide they prevented him from committing suicide. He ends, they end up in his home where he and his family tend their wounds, feed them, minister to them, and they end up sharing the gospel and getting his entire family saved. His entire family was added to the flock of God. And like what, what, what I have been told from the mothers, from the women in my life that, that I know as mothers, like despite all the labor, despite the, the many months of carrying this child in their womb, and the hard labor that was required to give him birth to that baby, once that baby is being held in her arms, it was all worth it. It's all worth it. I got to believe that Paul and Silas felt the same thing. Every wound on their back, every ache that they felt in their body, every bit of shame, uh, humiliation, Embarrassment or whatever else they might have felt in their soul, all the the humiliation of being imprisoned and shackled like common criminals, all of that became worth it in the rearview mirror because of what it yielded. It yielded the salvation of a man and his entire family who was not of the household of Israel. They were secular, Gentile. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. Father God, Father God, we thank you that Jesus is both the door and the good shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that you love us with a love that is beyond comprehension, a love so great that it just envelops all of our shortcomings, all of our inadequacies, all of our faults and foibles, it just envelops. Uh, 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 Father God, in Corinthians, the love chapter, you says that love, uh, you, you, you paint a beautiful picture of love, but you, but you also say that love covers a multitude of sins. And no one embodies that more or as much 
as you. Your love has covered a multitude of our sins. In your eyes, you don't see our faults. You don't see our shortcomings. You see Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see us in Christ and Christ in us. Thank you, Father God, for your love that compelled you to send our Lord and Savior to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly laying down your life and taking it up again. Thank you that though we wander at times, you leave the 99 to pursue the one. Because you love each and every one of us. immeasurably. Father, let the truth of your word just wreck us today, Lord. Let the truth of your word just resonate within us and compel us to yield to it, to obey it, to be transformed by it. Let us not be among those who leave and say that's a good word and we go out the same way we came in. Renew our minds. Reveal yourself to us in your word. Move us. Holy Spirit, convict us to really delve into and feast on the word of God. Lord, I lift up your people. And again, Lord, I thank you. As we lifted up at the beginning of the service, uh, Annette Turner and Judy Bruton, Father God, uh, we thank you for your healing touch, Father. And we look forward to the good report that, 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 that you did a miraculous work in, of healing in their bodies, Father God. Father, we pray for those who are giving them care, uh, be it in the hospital uh, with Judy Bruton still being there and, and Annette with her dear husband, Robert, uh, caring for her. Father God, I, I pray that you would keep him in perfect peace, keep his mind stayed on you, that you might keep him in perfect peace as he cares for his precious wife. Devil, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You shall not torment their minds. You shall, your, your lies shall not take root in, uh, in, in their minds. Only the truth of God. Their hearts are fertile soil for the truth of God's word to be planted where it will then grow and flourish and yield a, a abundant fruit. Ten, thirty, hundredfold. They belong to God. He's marked them. You shall not trespass in any way in their lives or in their soul or in their minds. They belong to God, and, 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 and he it is that cares for them. So we thank you for it, Lord. I ask your blessing on your people, Father, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.